there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And he also told this parable to some people who were trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these." Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Israel, would you lead us in prayer, please? So again, our concentration will be the first eight verses. And the phrase, at all times, they ought to pray. This is um, something that we need, to, we need to think about. And how is it that we're praying? I know from James 4.3, James tells us, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Just how are we praying? Certainly, this kind of prayer would not be true of Christ because in Luke twenty-two forty-two it says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. E. Stanley Jones once said that prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook, from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. So in the first eight verses, who do you cry to? Who are we crying to when we pray? What's the heart of our prayer? We see the necessity of prayer in verse 1. Now he was telling them a parable 
to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. So he's telling us the purpose of the parable, what he's about to talk about. They are to pray at all times. We know that 1 Thessalonians 5.17 simply says this, pray without ceasing. To pray at all times. Never stop praying. You've heard me tell the story of teaching Lauren and Madeline how to jump off the side of the pool when they were very small children. Madeline, our youngest, uh, was, oh, by far, <laughs> she was the daredevil. Um, she was constantly getting into things. Her hair, Charlie used to get a kick out of this. He was talking about it not too long ago. He still remembers this. Madeline's hair used to stand straight up. And her eyes were just always wide open like this. And she was always looking around, you know, what to get into. And she'd take off running into it, and her hair would come back like this. And as soon as she got to what she wasn't supposed to be in, she'd stop, and her hair would start to float like that. And she'd look around, again, what to get into. But for her to jump off the side of the pool, Lauren, there was a, there was a convincing, you know, proving that, you know, I've, I can catch her. And once she was convinced and she had it all figured out. She's very compartmental once she had it all figured out. Then she jumped. Madeline, when her time came, she was so small the bathing suit didn't fit her properly. It was way too big and that was the smallest suit we could find. And I just got, you know, I was going to say, Madeline, jump. I've got you. All I got out was Madeline, jump. Boom! And she just took off. And, you know, she crashes into my chest. And I look at her and she looks at me and she speaks to me. She was just a little bitty thing. She didn't have much vocabulary yet. And she, all she could say to get her point across was this, deeper, daddy. <laughs> uh, what do you mean? So I put her on, back on, uh, off the side of the pool, and she takes off running around the side of the pool to the three-foot section. And I, when I realize what's happening, and I know her personality, I know i got to get there quick, so I'm pushing through the water to get to her. And as soon as she gets to where she wants, she just turns and jumps right toward me. I grab her, and she looks at me, and she says, Deeper, Daddy. <laughs> so I put her back on the side, and she runs down to the five-foot section, and I'm swimming to try to keep ahead, and, and she jumps. I mean, she doesn't really wait to look and see if I'm ready. She just jumps. And she looks at me and says, Deeper, Daddy. And we keep doing this all the way down to the deepest part of the pool, and finally, the deepest section, she's jumped. And she looks at me, and she says, Deeper. I'm thinking, what is she thinking? There's nothing else deeper. And I put her on the side. She takes off running around the edge, turns, and I realize what she's doing now. She's jumping on the diving board. And I start swimming like a madman to get to the end of that board. And she just jumps on the board, turns, and takes off running, never hesitates, jumps in the air. And I grab her, and she's just smiling the whole time. Like, this is just wonderful. It was about a week later, I walked into the house when we lived in the log cabin, and I had a stack of books under both arms. I turned at the front door to talk to Arlene, who was in the kitchen. I'm standing at the bottom of the staircase, and I hear, Daddy! And I look up the stairs, and Madeline's already in mid-flight, <laughs> coming down the stairs, hair back, eyes wide open. She, you know, the invitation was what? Jump, I've got you. And she never stops talking about it. She never stops communicating it. And so she sees me and jumps, and oh yeah, by the way, Daddy. This continual conversation with her dad, who invited her to jump. You know, this is the idea 
to pray without ceasing, to in, in whatever's before us, in whatever our hands are at, to be praying without ceasing, an attitude of dependence and trust on Him. This is great confidence, and there's supposed to be a confidence in our prayer. Again, in verse 1, that they are to pray at all times and not to lose heart. Pray at all times and not lose heart. The word here for heart uh, can also be translated in some, some places, uh, in some translations it is, can be translated as faint. And do not faint. Pray without ceasing, ceasing and do not faint. And I was thinking about that a little bit. I called Dr. Rob and I, uh, I made sure I was right on this. And he sent me a message. <laughs> I said, hey, is this? And I gave him a big, long story. He just texts back a very simple answer. Sounds like he almost fainted. And I thought, okay, well, I guess I had that right. What I was doing was I was on a run with a friend of mine. And both of us are quite competitive. We took off on this run. It was just going to be a 5K, just a three-mile run up at his hill, up the hill, and back. And uh, he set a ridiculously fast pace. Well, I wasn't going to just back off of that, so I, I kept up with him. But the problem is, every time I'd catch up, he would speed up again. And I would speed up and, be, and, and stay with him. And this, kept, this went on for the whole run. After it was over with, I remember complaining to him. I said, what were you thinking? He says, what do you mean? I was just trying to keep up with you. <laughs> we were, both of us thought the other was setting the pace, and we kept pushing each other and pushing each other. By the time we were at the end of the run, we were sprinting. It was a ridiculously fast run. About a quarter of a mile left to the run, and all of a sudden, I started to see spots. And I knew I was pushing way too hard. At the end of the run, I told him that. He says, yeah, me too. <laughs> I said, where? He told me it was at the same place. We both almost passed out right there on the road. I could just see Charlie drive by and both of us laying on the road. So what happened as soon as I saw the spots, I remember thinking to myself, because I had passed out once before, I remember thinking to myself, breathe, breathe. Just keep breathing. Just keep breathing. And I ended up concentrating on the breathing and not the running. And I found as I was breathing, the running became better. As I concentrated on the breathing. <laughs> I had all this air before me, behind me, above me, and below me. And I found that I was concentrating, and some of you can probably testify the same thing. Have you ever had a trainer work with you, some kind of exercise? What's the thing that they have to keep reminding you of? Breathe. Breathe. And I used to think that was ridiculous. Why, do you, why are you wasting so much time telling me to breathe? This is natural. I will breathe. No, we get so concentrated on the exercise, what we're trying to accomplish, that we forget to breathe. We forget to take in what is all around us in abundance. 
and that we need. And I kind of feel like that's the idea here, to breathe. Prayer is a time of breath. It's a time of breathing. It's a time of bringing ourselves in line with the Lord, trusting Him in whatever endeavor is before us. And in that we find, like Paul says, I strive, I labor according to His power, which mightily works within me. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 reads like this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. And then in Romans 8, 35 to 39, a familiar passage to us, not losing heart. We have every reason for this confidence. Verse 35, it starts like this in Romans 8. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we have this kind of confidence? We should. Told you about Madeline. I'll tell you about Lauren now. When my father-in-law was uh, battling with cancer, she was a, a little girl. And we would try to explain what was going on. And as a child, this was her understanding. We would pray for Grandpa every night. And Lauren's prayer was this. Thank you, God, for taking care of my grandpa and that he's going to be okay. And, uh, you know, we, 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 Arlene and I would look at each other and would think, oh, that's a very sweet prayer. What if he's not okay? Well, he did die. And after he died, as a family, we got together to pray. And Lauren who was, I think, she was only five at the time. She said this, Thank you, God, for taking care of my grandpa. And thank you that he's okay. I remember looking up from that prayer, looking at Arlene, and she starts to cry, and realizing I'm the one that's been holding my breath here. I'm the one that has not dis been displaying the confidence that is to be mine in Christ. And I know as parents we have a lot of stories that the Lord has used to teach us truths. And that's just one. Any thoughts?
before I keep pushing. Yes, sir. No, thank you. Appreciate it. Anybody else? Well, yes, ma'am. I had a friend say to me when she was dying of cancer that I've got, it's a win-win situation. <laughs> and that made me realize that, yes, it really is. It's, it, you know, because she knew the Lord. Mm. Yes, ma'am. It's just so natural to us, isn't it? To not breathe. <laughs> okay, so now uh, the Lord's in this, in this parable, I believe it, what he's going to do from this point now is to start to contrast the righteous judge with the unrighteous judge. So, first of all, we see, all right, he describes the unrighteous judge to us. And in both verses 2 and 4, there's a phrase that's repeated. So repetition equals emphasis. What's he repeating? The unrighteous judge did not fear God and did not respect man. John MacArthur made this statement. Someone who is, uh, about the unrighteous judge, someone who has absolutely no reverence for God and no interest in people. This man is ultimately and finally wicked. He is not moved by reverence or worship, and he is not moved by compassion or sympathy. He has no interest in the first commandment, loving God, no interest in the second commandment, loving his neighbor. He is the most wicked man. Now, in spending some time in this passage this week, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this, and I'm, you know, I... I I, I agree with John MacArthur with this. He, he, the, this judge is a picture of a most wicked man. And then as you go on in the context, you start to find out who this judge is a picture of, and I start to get uncomfortable. The most wicked man. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Let's start in verse 25. Chapter 10, verse 25. 
Is that right? Well, yeah, if I turn to the right chapter 10, it is. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And we know also same Jesus teaching the same thing when he's asked what's the most important commandment, Matthew twenty two, thirty seven, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. And you've probably heard before, you know, the order is very important because the second can't be true unless the first is. The one who loves his neighbor as himself is one who loves God with all that he is. But this is not true of the unrighteous judge. The, this word unrighteous found in our, in our text in verse 6 has also been translated uh, one time as evildoer, four times as wickedness, and one time as wrong. This is not to be the role of the judge, nor is it to be for those who claim to belong to Jesus. This is not to be true of us. Look, um, look at Acts chapter 7. In, in this chapter, Stephen is on trial. And it's interesting, as you read it, it really what happens is he ends up putting the Sanhedrin on trial. And then at the end of his argument, he issues his verdict. And remember, these, this is the religious leadership. These are the ones who are supposed to, to know what is true and live that truth. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, Stephen says this, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you, you refuse to consider this. You look great on the outside, but the inside is a wreck. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. This is the, this is the opposite of what should be true of these men, but also it's possible for those who are you know, sitting right alongside of us. In Jude verse 4 it says this, For certain persons have crept in unannounced. Crept in. They have actually come in and sat down alongside taking part in everything that goes on. Church, right. right. 
Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master. Deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The only reason um, the, the judge is, in our text, the only reason the judge comes around to taking care of the widow is, is interesting. Uh, it's in verse 5. Yeah, because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Bless you. And that word, that, that phrase is interesting. Wear me out. It, it means, another way of, of, of saying it would, would be She'll give me a black eye. In other words, she'll ruin my reputation. <laughs> See, it's his, his judgment for her has got nothing to do with her, nothing to do for her, but everything to do for him. This is not what the Lord would have of us. In Philippians 2, 3, 4, 5, and 7, it reads like this, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who emptied himself. To empty himself, this means to completely remove or eliminate all the elements of a high status. To release rank, privileges. He emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. I think what we're seeing here, the point in all of this is that a worse man could not be found than this unrighteous judge. But here's what's so uncomfortable to me. A worse man could not be found and this is a description of the only man we have to trust if we're not trusting Jesus. The only one that you and I have to trust if we're not trusting Jesus is us. Paul gives this description of himself and the situation he finds himself in if not for Christ. In the familiar passage that we know from Romans 7, beginning in verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. And then later on in verse 24, he describes himself this way, wretched man. I am so, you've heard me say this before, I am so Thankful that the man who said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I strive, I labor, according to his power which mightily works within me. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am so thankful that the same man said this, I am wretched apart from Jesus. 
There's a battle that goes on inside of me. Again, you've heard me talk about this. I don't remember how long ago I told you, but I know I have a recollection of actually telling you this story here. But there's so many new faces, I get to tell it again. My dad owned a construction company. Paula and I got our start in construction as young men working for my dad. My brother, of course, went on and has done much, much more than I with that. But one time I was uh, working with a carpenter named Ronald. Ronald was in charge of the job site. Ronald was a very uptight, insecure person. Very nervous person. So afraid at this one job that we wouldn't finish it in time that he cut my lunch break down from 30 minutes to 20 minutes, then 15 minutes, then 10 minutes, then five minutes. Now, those of you who know Arlene, you know that Arlene doesn't make a five-minute lunch. Uh, she gave me so much to eat, I had to take it to work in an ice chest. And I enjoyed those lunches. But I only had five minutes to eat them, so I did. I shoved all that food down me, including dessert, in five minutes. One day, we were uh, needing some help on wh what we were doing, and so my dad sent Paul out to, I think this is the first time I've ever told the story with you here, and that kind of ticks me off. Anyway, <laughs> you'll know why in a second. So Paul shows up. Ronald comes over, and he says, okay, lunch, and I took off running. I grabbed my ice chest, and I sat against the wall, and I started to eat really quick. And Paul came over, and he looked at me, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm eating my lunch. Hurry up. <laughs> he said, what? I said, I swallowed. You've only got five minutes for lunch. Hurry. And he looked at me, and his head goes like this. And he goes, oh, I'm eating my lunch. And he was single at the time, so all he had was a brown paper bag. And he walked over to the house next door. And he slowly put his back against the wall, and he slid down. And he reached in, he unrolled the top of the bag, and he was being very purposeful. It's very slow. He opens the bag, and he reaches in, and he grabs his sandwich and lays it down, and he grabs his chips and lays it down. He grabs his drink and puts it down. Then he takes the paper bag, and he puts it on his lap, and he spreads it out real slowly. Then he takes his sandwich and he, un he unwraps the sandwich one corner at a time. And I'm watching him, and I'm looking at Ronald, and I'm looking at Paul and back to Ronald. And Ronald's just standing there, not saying anything. So I grabbed my ice chest, and I went over, and I sat next to Paul. <laughs> we ate our lunch. Oh, this is great. Ronald came over, and he was just disgusted. He took a five-gallon bucket, turned it upside down, sat in front of us, and opened up a can of sardines and started eating his lunch his five-minute lunch. That night, I go home, and I get a phone call. It's my dad. Son. Yes, Dad. I understand you're not eating your lunch. I said, no, I'm eating it. And he says, son, do you think I'm going to fire you for eating your lunch? And I said, no, sir. He said, then eat your lunch. Click. The next morning, I got up, went to work. Ronald said lunch. Paul wasn't there. 
grabbed my ice chest, and I walked over to the building next door, and I sat down, and I opened everything up, not as slow and obnoxious as my brother. <laughs> and I slowly ate my lunch. I had forgotten something. I had forgotten that my dad was the boss and that Ronald couldn't touch me. Incred incredible contrast between those two men. Ronald was weak, scared, and the employee. My dad, and to know him is to know this was true, strong, confident, and the boss. I've forgotten that. Do we forget the same thing with our Lord? That we are weak, scared, and His. That He is strong, confident, and the Lord. Incredible contrast, and I think that's what He's doing here. He's contrasting these two, the unrighteous judge and the righteous judge. Unless we, become, uh, unless we come to this and we, and, and we recognize this is a contrast, this parable is one of contrasting two men, two people, then we're left with believing that the only way we get anywhere with the Lord is to argue and to bribe Him. But our God is a God who is just. Verse 7, Now will not God bring about justice for his elect? Justice means to vindicate, bring about retribution. And in the context here, according to verse 3, it would mean protection. God is just. He is quick, seeking the one who has faith. In verses 7 to 8. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He is just, and in his justice, he is quick, and he is seeking those who have faith. It's been pointed out that God is always answering prayer. Otherwise, Romans 8.28 could not be in the Bible. He is always answering prayer. He is always conforming us to the image of His Son, Romans 8.29. He is always looking to support those whose heart is completely His. 2 Corinthians 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is mostly His. <laughs> completely His. Proverbs 3.5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In 
all your ways. Acknowledge him. and He will make your paths straight. This is what Jesus will be looking for. Will he find, verse 8, will he find faith on the earth? And as we look at this passage, I think it's clear that faith is a lifestyle. Faith is a lifestyle. It is not just a one-time moment lived off of in antiquity. Faith, we enter into this life by faith in Christ. As you have received, so walk, Colossians 2.6. Then we, what, continue to live by faith. To not continue we can't just keep living off of this. I'm not saying we lose the benefit of that moment whereby we put our faith in Christ. But faith is present tense. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is present tense. We are to continue to live by faith. And this passage screams this out to us in verse 1. At all times, not to lose heart. In verse 5, continually coming. And in verse 7, cry to Him day and night. George Mueller was once asked how much time does he spend in prayer, and his response was this, hours every day. But I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk, and when I lie down, and when I rise. And the answers are always coming. The spirit of prayer. What does that mean? When I wake up in the morning and I see Arlene, who is already awake every morning, who has already accomplished much, <laughs> I look at her and I say, good morning. But that's not the end of my conversing with her. I continue to talk to her when we're at work together, when we're at lunch, when we're sitting, when we're traveling. We get a lot of talk in at that time. When I go away, I call her. I text her. Now, Arlene would probably tell you it's not enough, but my point is it doesn't end. It's not 24-7 verbiage. I don't have that many words. But it doesn't end. I found a recent survey that indicates that poor communication skills is the leading cause of divorce in the United States. This one website I found asked 100 mental health experts to identify factors that commonly lead to divorce. Of those polled, 65% said that communication problems were at the top of the list. Not talking. Not communicating. Well, how much more important is it for us to be in communication with our God? If it's of utmost necessity for our relationships, here, our marriages. When we learn to pray at all times, looking to Jesus, we are living by faith. And this is the faith he's looking for. 
And then he goes on in this passage, or in the next part of the chapter, and I think he gives us an example, beginning in verse 11. This is, I think, an example of one who trusts the unrighteous judge or the one who trusts the righteous judge, the justifying judge or the unjust judge. And we see the Pharisee. He stood, verse 11, was praying to this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pray. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. But was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified. Rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Who do you cry to? Really, when it comes down to it, who do you pray to? Who are you dependent on? You, the unjust judge, or Jesus Christ, the just judge? Any thoughts? Yes, sir. So in uh, verse 7 where he said, Will not God uh, bring justice for your life cry from day and night? And will he delay long? Well, if you're crying day and night, he's delaying. Right? I mean, that seems kind of contradictory. So why does God delay? Why does he do things immediate sometimes? And uh, why does he not answer? What do you think? Well, he, he is just. He is all those things, but it seems a par- paradox. Okay. And yet, uh, I, I know he works in our hearts, and so he's doing something else, and uh, sometimes he doesn't give us what we want because it's not the best for us. Well, and... Again, that, that makes me think of Romans 8, 28, and 29. God's working all things together for good. Verse 28, verse 29, conforming us to the image of his son. I think he's always, always active. Yes? Mm-hmm. And I think the point is, there's, the first section is about 
those who don't trust God, right? And the second part is those who trust themselves, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The people who don't trust God, they think that he's this, you know, un, um, he's this unjust judge. Uh, but what, what the passage says is, you don't have to worry about God's justice. He's just. Mm. What you have to worry about is that whether you're going to be faithful or not. Mm. You know? And the second part is, you know, and faithfulness does not mean going like the Pharisees. It means going like the public. You know? Faith does not mean faith in yourself. It means faith in God. Right? So to me, it's two sides of the same ugly coin, which is one, not trusting God, and two, trusting yourself. Okay. Oh yeah, I I think in my daily walk with, with the Lord and, and my faith is always kind of wandering as I go back to Mark eleven twenty four and said, Therefore I say to you all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. Now I was putting putting that like an expectation on the Lord and I think sometimes we do that, expecting him to give us the answer that we want. And then when you say George Miller Mueller and then also uh, Proverbs five and six, it's trusting in the Lord and understanding it's not our understanding, it's his. And the answers are always coming, they're just not, maybe we tune out some of the answers and we're not hearing, if we're not hearing anything, or expecting a certain answer, and it's our will we're trying to place on it, and not uh, releasing it all to God, Christ, and it's his will. Okay, thank you. Okay, so we're a couple of minutes over, so let's pray. Um, Josh, would you lead some prayer, please?